In this gospel, Mary Magdalene is portrayed as the favorite and most advanced disciple of Jesus. And she's the only disciple, so never mind the first apostle. Yeah, 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 it's very nice, you know, good start. But actually, you know, she was the only one with whom he uh, taught the most esoteric and mad- most advanced teaching. Welcome to the Liberated Healer podcast, where we touch on a variety of topics in the world of spirituality, energetic healing, and everything in between and beyond. Take an adventure on a shooting star with your host, Gina, offering wisdom, guidance, and everlasting love and support. Gina Cavalier here at the Liberated Healer podcast, and we have Joanna Kuyava on. She's an author. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Gina, and everyone else who's going to listen to this. We have a book out called The Other Goddess, and um, she is a scholar, a spiritual detective, which I love that term. Um, uh, this book is called The Other Goddess, The Mary Magdalene and the Goddesses of Heroes and Secret Knowledge. But you have had such an incredible story, and you know you have a BA and an MA from um, Institute of Medieval Studies in the University of Toronto, Canada, and a PhD from... Uh, Monash University in Melbourne, Australia, where you are now, correct? Yes. Well, yes. I'm actually in Brisbane, but I'm in Australia. Oh, okay. So yeah. And, um, so um, this is a huge topic, and um, there, I've had some correlations, which the one thing about this podcast I talk to my um, friends and colleagues and people about is that it always aligns exactly with what's going on in my life, even though sometimes I schedule these interviews months out, right? And in one of my um, um, channels with my spirit guides, the Black Madonnas came to me, and I had never even heard of the Black Madonnas. And then while I was reading your book and like getting ready for the interview, you had this whole topic on it. So let's just get in about you. But I just always think that that's magical. So. Uh, Let me tell you. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your background, which is fascinating, and how you got into this area of work. Okay. Thank you for asking this question. So, I was uh, born and grew up in in communist Poland, which was also a very very Catholic place. And actually, the opening page of The Other Goddess basically states how my interest in the topic developed. Although then very unconsciously, because I was, uh, you know, a young girl, because I was, I used to go to church, and then you know I saw these images of uh, Virgin Mary, which is very beautiful but kind of unrealistic. And now I would say it's just a patriarchal imagination, you know, this virginal, always suffering mother that is consoling, you know, the, the tired male. And then there was this image of Mary Magdalene, who seemed to be very close to the teacher, you know, Jesus. And there seemed to be some kind of uh, like erotic connection there, but also she was demeaned as actually not important and, and actually a harlot, which we now we already know, and I confirm it with my research, is not true. So, so, so this started the whole process, right, of, of looking into this. However, growing up in such an intense place like communist and Catholic Poland taught me two things, you know, that truth is important and freedom is important. And also I realized that things can be easily suppressed by mainstream narratives, which, you know, is very apparent when you live in communist state, but not so if you live in like, you know, uh, in the West. Although now with the pandemic and post-pandemic, people start to ask questions, but it is kind of more covert. You know what I mean? Yes. And, and, and in communism, it's just that's it. You know, that there's only one version of everything. Right? Yeah. So, so I started to look into this. What about other versions, right? But since you asked me about myself, and I know that you wanted to um, to explore this, so I, I obviously started to be interested in eros because I see this beautiful, you know, power waking up in me, and and which was always kind of um, shamed in people, but especially for women because men had always some sexual freedom, you know, when women were shamed. So although I didn't do anything yet, and in fact, I didn't do anything sexually for a very long time, you know, as a young girl, 
uh, I, I didn't believe that, again, the mainstream, that there's something wrong with feeling this beautiful power of Eros, which for me was also very spiritual and expansive, you know, like I didn't experience it as a dark force at all. So I started to, you know, uh, look into different archetypes of erotic goddesses. And, but, you know, I had my own kind of teenage uh, and early young woman fantasies, you know, and one was about a Viking, you know, this kind of uh, very masculine <laughs> archetype. Because I, and the reason why I was attracted to the Viking archetype, it is because I wanted to discover what it really means to be a woman beyond this, you know, kind of, uh, you know, archetypes of the Virgin Mother or Suffering Mother. So I thought that I had to somehow um, identify my eros in response to the masculine. So I went for like a really alpha masculine, you know, like Viking. And in fact, you know, I managed in my naive way, kind of mentally seduce a Swedish businessman who was visiting Poland. You know, nothing happened, but I played on his imagination. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah. So eventually, you know, I went to Sweden and, you know, I learned that, you know, a, a man is one thing and an archetype is another thing. And actually, the alpha male archetype, you know, it actually needs lots of healing itself. You know, it's not a yeah. kind of real thing. And then after that, I went to France, which wasn't an easy feat, you know, to, when I came back to Poland uh, from uh, Sweden, because it was very difficult to leave Poland at the time. But I managed, you know, and, and, and I left for France. And then I actually had my first um, kind of... Uh, exposure to the difference between sexuality and eroticism because uh, and I for the first time really found an appreciation of you know who I was as a woman in a very nice sophisticated way you know not in a kind of vulgar way or you know you have to be a virgin mother or something but but you know in a very sophisticated way and this actually helped me to redefine although I also use terminology used by Eva Pirakos in her uh, Pathwork of Transformation I think book when she's talking about the difference between sexuality and eros, except that I elaborated a lot on this. Yes. So basically, sexuality is kind of a raw sexuality, and there's nothing wrong with it, you know, but it can take you only that, that far. So it means you can end up having fantastic sex with someone, and then you have nothing to tell to this person, nothing to say, and you actually cannot remember his name <laughs> or her name, right? Uh, but erotic uh, erotic connection is also soul based, so it means you know the attraction, the desire, you know, is 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 kind of actually soul's desire to know somebody absolutely. Yes, right. Um, so when you're seeing arrows, I, I, not a lot of people know arrows. So could you explain that a little bit because it would help to have some context of. So I think mo mostly people uh, go to Greek uh, mythology, Eros, as the, you know, the young god who was the son of the uh, goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty and love. However, I do not define it this way because, and maybe it is just another book, I'm just thinking what's next, but I'm too tired at the moment to think about it, you know, so clearly, is that Eros for me comes, actually, uh, maybe I'll just elaborate a little bit here. Greek mythology for me simplify a much more, much more ancient, uh, terms, you know, or, or powers, you yeah. know, or energies. So uh, on the deepest level in kind of uh, esoteric uh, traditions before, you know, they were in, in, even in Greece, uh, eros is, means actually desire, the energy of desire. You know? and, and then the kind of... Well. Cupid is actually a... Um, uh, eros, but in Latin, so in Roman Empire, they just translated Greek names to um, to to Latin names, right? So so it's the same person, slightly different, but it's basically the same person, but they gave it like a name in their own language, which was Latin. But it's also extremely simplified. So I'm actually not that interested in, in him, you know, because his name is actually personification of much more ancient esoteric traditions that talk about Eros as the primal desire which is both spiritual and physical and this is what i focus on in my book right not on the raw you know not on like kama sutra but on tantra you know on on, on spirituality and sexuality and how eros can actually be an expansive experience spiritually and transformative spiritually so for me eros is not really the young greek god but the original uh, energy 
that was later made into a story by by ancient Greeks. Okay. And Eros is, you know, the energy of completely it's like exposing exposing yourself to another, your your soul, your darkness, the ugly parts, the it's the everything. It's it's what people kind of know in the Western world is maybe like a tantrum, right? So it's really like getting fully in and connecting on a deep level spiritually too, because um, you mentioned that um, when you had your big experience with a lover that wasn't even, was more like a friend with benefits, right? Yes. So, yeah, with the spine. It's a little bit more complex than that, but yes, essentially you are right. But I just want to clarify some things because uh, this is how, you know, Eros is understood. And I I define erotic connection a little bit, you know, so I add erotic connection to this. So in a... If eros and such is just the energy of desire, which binds the whole cosmos together. So basically we would not exist. The universe would not exist without eros. You know, there must have been some original desire. Like, for example, in Tantra, for Shiva opened his eyes and created the world. Okay. Because without it, you know, why bother about anything, right? But erotic connection is what I explain in, in the other goddess is what exactly what you just said. So I kind of make a, a difference between romantic attraction and erotic attraction. And I think people may be interested in this because I think this may clarify their own, you know, relationships a little bit. And that's the kind of a practical side of the book, really. So, you know, in romantic connection, you, you, you feel the desire, you feel the eros. But you are lost in the play of eros. You're not in control of the play of eros. So it means that you want to hold on to this original attraction so much that you don't allow it to grow. Mm. So, for example, you know, you met in the evening, the lights were dimmed, you look like a goddess, you look like a young, sexy god. Then, you know, the morning comes and you're tired, you know, and things look differently. And you struggle, you know, to hold on to this original impression which was actually the awakening of your like divine desire to really truly know each other, but to take it in a most superficial way. So you think I have to put on more makeup. I will put on another red dress, you know, and I lose some weight, you know, I will be on permanent diet, you know, so he desires. So also you, you drop the power from you. You move away from original errors, from original desire, which was like, oh, I want to know you which is not only sexual, but spiritual on every level, but it is sexual as well. Yes. And I say that this Eros gets bored with this because it's not allowed to grow. So uh, what I usually say, it is you can wear the same red dress for the same men only that many times to the same effect. Actually, it is like, oh, so it's another red dress. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is the, so these are the limits of romance because then you have to kind of it becomes artificial, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? You, you just said, or maybe if I put more candlelight, or you know, or if I buy a really sexy bra, which is nothing wrong with it. I love bras, you know. I have a bra fetish. I have gorgeous bras, but but you know, uh, but that's not what is going to hold this together. When erotic connection is, you actually fully open. To this original impulse, impulse, I'm sorry. I really want to know you. You know, our souls brought us together so we can join in body and soul. And then for arrows to grow, you have to allow your, each other to show not only your ugly, you know, whatever ugly is, physical part, but also, you know, you have to bury your soul. You know, we all have shadows and lights and, you know, and you have to fully accept this other person and yourself. You have to, first of all, accept yourself so you can expose yourself safely to someone. And this is what true erotic connection is. And in my book, I actually give an example from a woman who, you know, when I was writing a blog, she she responded. And it's just a fantastic story when she said that because like in Tantra, I'm talking about original Tantra, not what is practiced most of the time, or Chinese Tantra or Taoist Tantra, which is, again, very different. Is that you know uh, kind of encounters may be unexpected and very uncomfortable. Like in her situation, she was attached, he was attached, and like ah, everybody says, oh, this is so forbidden. Yeah. So 
but you know, Eros has its own ways. It has no respect for like societal artificial rules. So, you know, they, they had what normally would be called a one night stand. And it was an experience that was not only sexually erotically, but also spiritually so profound that they actually had an out of body experience that like they just saw themselves like from past lives. And, you know, and when it was just like complete free, you know, so, uh, sometimes people call it like, uh, Soul flame, or you know, something like that. I'm not sure, yeah. but this is a very new age vocabulary, so I don't want to be dismissive because it doesn't mean you know, when people think, Oh, now there's a happy ending, like in Hollywood, but there is no happy ending necessarily because it's not about happy ending. This is not about now they left everybody and you know, they got married. It is they had the profound experience of knowing each other, although they knew very little about each other in mundane terms, like you know, they were yeah. like. Right, what's your job? But you know, like recognition of that most profound soul being. And in fact, they, they did separate because, you know, of social, you know, uh, conditions and, you know, they were part partners and so on. And, you know, uh, 20 years later, and they were not in contact, 20 years later, when she was a much older woman and she took a, a course to be celebrant, you know, like, which is like yeah. marriage or, or, or funeral celebrant, right? And they said that the body of a man came where his family used to live here, but it, nobody is alive anymore. And would she be, you know, because they cannot find anyone, they don't know what his faith was, you know, perform her first uh, ride on this man. Yes. And she read the papers and it was him. Oh my gosh. And he was so he came way you know, so wow. she would initiate him to the afterlife. So oh, this wow. is the richness of erotic connection. They didn't have an opportunity to be together. They just have this moment of total recognition that basically almost like ruins your mundane life, you know, because now you have to go back to your part, you know what I mean? Like, and you have this experience that you cannot repeat and, you know, and, and even if you want to repeat with your current partner, you can't because, you know, it, it, it just this doesn't happen, you know, it's a different form of relationship. So in many ways, in many ways, not only the story is absolutely wonderful, but also is a metaphor really for a deeper spiritual experience. Because when I had a deeper spiritual experience on many levels and anybody else that comes to me and I observed, you know, in different spiritual communities, it is not something that, you know, is easy. It's, it basically completely deconstructs your life. It takes you to your darkness and then you have to crawl back and more maybe 20 years later, you actually understand what happened to you and that is actually for your good. But maybe it destroyed many things in your life that you thought were essential, but they were actually not essential for your development. So this is exactly what, you know, this beautiful example, I think, uh, shows of erotic connection, which is, you know, complete surrender to errors and recognition of each other. And that it doesn't mean that, you know, you're actually meant to have a relationship, like a mundane relationship. And it's difficult to accept. You know? Yes. I, I agree. Um, so, you know, how a lot of people have that magic in the beginning of the relationship and then they kind of go on and then it, it kind of fades and things like that. Was Eros in the beginning of a relationship and it just let go? Or is that not an Eros uh, connection at all? Yeah, I think I think it depends on the situation, you know, from couple yeah. to couple. And sometimes Eros can come back, you know, but I think Eros is this uh, initial binding power you know this initial desire and uh, and it is very playful and it's not something you can hold on to you know so i think it is naive you know to think that you can have it always forever but you can transform it you can you know into an affection you know or people when if people just could get married and have children then you know that desire it goes in a completely different direction you know you have to focus also on many material things you know once you have children you have to provide for them you know and, and there are other things right so it's not like you just drop children and you know now we go on a romantic you know uh trip somewhere so so uh the original desire most likely especially if it was very strong on a every level not only you know she's really hot or he's really hot right although it is a part of it I don't want to diminish it, you know, was real, but, uh, but, you know, Eros just left and Eros can do this. And especially if you're not willing to let it grow, you know, now, yeah. now, you can, okay, now we've met, we had this, we are attracted to each other. Now we'll get married and now we have children. And then it says, okay, I've been through this so many times. I'm so bored. 
Yes. You know, like Eros is not going to conform to anything. It's like a rebel spirit, you know, it's a desire. And I have learned in France, although I did not participate in it, because I think that, for example, French eroticism, you know, actually is this. So we just move on to the next erotic experience. And it's, and then eventually it leads to perversion. So this is when I write in my book, uh, The Other Goddess, or not necessarily perversion, but you, you, you look for, get higher and higher and higher, yeah. you know, on sex. And then you have to think about toys and, you know, and all kinds of weird stuff, right? Yeah. I actually, I have no judgment about it, but I, I cannot really relate because it doesn't turn me on. So, uh, so this is the dark side. So for Eros to stay, you have to grow with it. And you have to be open to whatever form it wants to take in your life. Yeah. It, and it, you know uh, what I mean? The way that you kind of explained it in your book is, you know, I guess, you know, when you have that lust and it was fun, but there's no spiritual connection, mm. that's just, that fades really fast, right? That's just great. Really fast. Yeah. Then like a few months, you're just kind of like, that was fun, but there's nothing left. But yeah. when you're having a spiritual connection, and then it, it's also erotic in that two people are both trying to capture a deeper meaning spiritually. You can kind of go into many different beautiful yeah. experiences. But how about, I mean, how about if only one, unfortunately, sometimes only one wants something and the other person doesn't, it'll mm. just go that's very difficult, you know, and it's very difficult, but I think we have to enter a very uncomfortable area of social conditioning because I, I have to say that very often it's a woman that wants it, although it's not necessarily, right? And I think we've been conditioned that this is the only path we can take. We, we you know, even if we are successfully, professionally successful or whatever, you know, we really have to find this man and the only way he truly can prove us, prove to us that he loves us is because he wants to marry us and that's not true. Okay, uh, and you know, and start you know the, the whole thing of motherhood and family, which is a very beautiful path, but it's a very, you know, also consuming path. And uh, neither Eros nor the partner may want to enter this path, or maybe a man who says, "I just want to settle down." But this doesn't really happen with Eros like that. I think you have to be open to Eros. So to have truly erotic relationship with someone is very difficult, especially if you're young, long term. Because you may have to go with separate ways, you know, to explore other things. Not necessarily sexually, but maybe, you know, I wanted to travel. Yeah. You know, and not in a, so, and be a writer. And, 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 and a man who wanted to settle down, like, you know, it, it, it's a heartbreak, right? Because in this case, I, I, I couldn't do this. You know, I felt like I'm dying. So, uh, so I, I, I can't do this just because, you know, I, I'm told I should be. So then, you know... Uh, the drama starts, but yeah. if you're a truly spiritual person, I think then you you have to let go the other person, and it's and it's heartbreaking. So yeah. I think, for example, I'm lucky because I'm older now, and I met my current uh, husband, you know, later, and then we both had many relationships, went through many spiritual initiations, and and so on. And we can truly talk about uh, former lovers and wives and stuff. And we appreciate what we have now, you know. And But when it happens early in life, it's very difficult to sustain it. I'm not going to pretend that I know, you know, the antidotum for, for the situation. But I think that we have to take into consideration our social conditioning. And also, for example, you have this kind of experience of someone and he or she doesn't want to, you know, do what you want to do. Then you... You have to mature up and say, okay, so I had this, I honor this experience, but if I really want to have a family, I just have to find a man who wants it. And the experience when you have it, I'm sure it's almost like a drug in a way. Like you want to recapture it over and over again because it's so magical, right? And um, I do a lot of, you know, I teach a lot of different spiritual work. And a lot of times I use this, you mentioned in your book as well, that when you had your really big explosive spiritual uh, out-of-body experience, you felt the tingle through your spine. And because I always that the spine is um, like sort of the, the roadmap to when everything is starting to open. So can you just describe a little bit 
um, maybe about what that, what it felt like. So somebody can identify if they felt like this before, if they they think they, they've had something close to it, just because it's so beautiful. So I think that probably lots of people had experiences like that, but they discounted them. So it's quite mm -hmm. possible. But can I just put it in a context? Because sometimes people, especially, you know, once I wanted to write a famous men's magazine and they love the piece, but they said, oh, just tell the men what to do. And I said, this is not what the men does. You know, it's just like a whole thing. So uh, this happened to me when I was already a very devout student of the esoteric tantra. And, you know, I was studying... Uh, a text from a 10th century tantric text that somebody who just translated from a trans, uh, Sanskrit, a scholar, with a group of people, right? A small group of people, swamis, and, and I was the only female there. And, uh, and then I think what, what this kind of true initiation is telling you that the text itself, from whatever tradition, has an initiatory power. So I was like, for a year and a half, I was studying it, not expecting to have any experience. I was just as an academic and a spiritual seeker and a spiritual detective. I was trying to understand, you know, what it is, because the text is dense, because it's not only a Sanskrit, but it's also encoded because it was hidden knowledge, right? Yes. Secret knowledge. So I was studying this, and one night I was coming back from my uh, study group, and somebody whom I very casually dated because I was just getting over a very intense relationship with somebody, you know, whom I was for a very long time, uh, was waiting for me, you know, but I had no attachment to him, really. I didn't have no plans towards him, you know. And, and this is strangely enough in the classical tantra a requirement that you do not hold on to the partner. If it happens, it happens. If it not, you know, he can go, you can go. Okay, because it's not about creating a relationship, it is about having the experience. Okay. So and and so I'm not so first of all, I, I, I was like, you know, full of teachings in you know, in my whole body energetically. But also we had a very sexual relationship. So, you know, like since he was there, you know, we actually had a sexual relationship, except that sexual encounter. Except that I fulfilled this requirement. You know, I was already initiation it actually to a particular tradition formally. I, I was initiated through the text itself, which I have learned only later, actually quite recently, the text had initiatory power. It's not just an intellectual exercise. And, and you know, and, you know, the spirit decided to, to you know, the Kundalini movement, what it is called, uh, happened. So, you know, as we were making love, I had to stop because I started to feel what is called the Kundalini movement through my body. So it's at the bottom of your spine. And actually in esoteric tantra, the, the spine are actually at the area along the spine, because it's not physical, is basically called Sushumna, which means they're like a divine channel, Sushumna. Yeah. And, and when all of your memories and past lives and, you know, are stored and also when you can have obstacles there because, you know, from past lives, right, and so on, and your own obstacles. And I started to feel the movement of Kundalini, and it is not something that you can ignore, okay? No. And first of all, it feels like, I cannot explain, it feels like higher consciousness entered you. It's not just physical, it's actually mostly spiritual, but it is moving, you know, and at the side, you feel your spiritual self because, you know, it's moving through the social now along your, uh, along your spine, and it is, you, but it's so much more ancient and wiser than you. And it's also not you because it is almost like, I don't know, Shiva, Christ consciousness or cosmic consciousness moving through you. And it's just decided to give you the chance to see the glory of your own being, the glory of the universe beyond, you know, the three-dimensional thing. And it exploded in my heart and I actually start, lit up like a, uh, like a bulb, like a candle. You know, like there's actually an aura around me. And, you know, the man was just like, wow. <laughs> he was spiritual enough to understand, you know, of our relationship. I'm not going to pretend was spiritual, but we we had all kinds of spiritual discussions because you know we're so inclined, right? Yeah. And but you know, it was kind of not that we're seeking this experience, but I actually had a physical. It was physically uh, visible, but there was some light, some, and it was the energy was also highly intelligent. You know, it was wise, and it's like. Something entered you. It is you, but it's not you. And then it moved through my, the rest of my body until my forehead, and it paused. And I could actually feel it 
thinking, you know, just to say this way. It was like, okay, either I just give them an orgasm or I'm showing the whole fireworks, right? And it's moving but one direction after a pause. And, you know, and I had like an explosion of cosmic consciousness, you know, mm-hmm. and actually everything I see the reality, not as we normally see, but just like as particles of energy, actually. Everything was particles of energy, you know? So I saw that this material existence is just kind of some kind of, I don't know, hologram. I don't know because I'm not, you know, going to uncover it scientifically. It's not my field. But, you know, it is not what it is, what we think it is, right? Yeah. And, and, and later, upon reflection, you know, I, 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 I remembered that actually in the esoteric Hinduism and proper esoteric tantra, the woman is the conduit of divine energy for a man. So the man has this experience, like this man had, because, you know, like, because of me, and it's still back on him, but like to call the Rolling Stones, he had to start me up, and that energy decided, you know, I have no control of this, I'm not pretending that I can mm-hmm. repeat this experience, you know, or that I can teach it, I just can share my experience, this is what yeah. I do in the goddess. It moved through me, and put this man in complete awe, and this energy spilled on him, so he was in the same kind of spiritual ecstasy, which is kind of like bliss. So it wasn't like or- orgasmic, it wasn't physical, it was it was just like you know like you transported to a different dimension. Really, there's no other way of saying it. I think we all at least once need to experience that. Yeah, I think we do. <laughs> yeah. okay. I I love it. I mean, I've I've had those kind of experiences spiritually. So I, when you're speaking that, I can kind of relate just mm. to like things like that. So, um, but to have it with another human is amazing, and I think that. Probably older civilizations had this more because absolutely, absolutely. Yep. And actually, this is not in my book because it's a more recent development. For example, the creators of the Magical Egypt, which is kind of documentary series, you know, about alternative interpretations of the pyramids and ancient Egypt, they actually prove that, you know, the whole civilization was built on the Kundalini movement. You know, the temples are like built this way and, and so on. And, and if you look at the goddesses, which I discussed, you know, uh, erotic goddesses, uh, they were also goddesses of the past, you know, of secret knowledge. They were the ones that were conveying knowledge to humanity, you know. So, uh, and, and for some reason, and this is what I focus on in my book, they were suppressed and called harlots and prostitutes. And my question is, what are they afraid of? People yeah. who suppress them for thousands and thousands of years. So... I don't want to, you know, focus on conspiracies. It's not my field. Plus, I think it's the wrong focus, you know, because what you focus on grows. But my question basically is, if they suppress them for millennia, you know, these goddesses, these priestesses actually had a key to our spiritual evolution. And somebody doesn't want us to turn this key to unlock the mystery. But they were there, including Mary Magdalene, which in my opinion so far, is the last in the line of many goddesses of Nimna, Inanna, Ishtar, Hathor, Isis, you know, in, in the Western tradition, because they're also esoteric tantric traditions, that, that were, I, these goddesses, priestesses, that were perhaps, if you don't mind a little bit of weirdness, and I'm speaking here as a scholar, and that, you know, I cannot deny it, perhaps one and the same entity that was embodying itself, you know, through these yeah. different women and goddesses, yeah. Or maybe some, you know, uh, multi-dimensional being, or maybe reincarnating itself, because there are just too many symbi- similarities symbolically and so on, which are just adjusted culturally, whether it is Sumer, whether it's Egypt, whether it's Israel, whether it's India, it's over and over the same goddess, the same entity telling us this is the key to your greatness. Yeah. Yeah. And I can show it experientially. But, you know, some people have very spontaneous experiences, like I did, but Mine was spontaneous and not because I was a committed seeker. You know, I put my academic career on a side just to pay, I had it just to pay my bills. And I was having this esoteric meetings, you know, the underground scholars. And, and, you know, I, nothing could stop me. So it's, I almost felt like a form of reward at this initiation, you know, like, yeah. I felt yeah. <laughs> serious about it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, well, also they, wanted you to be able to speak about it into the book because the more that it gets out there 
and the the more that people can realize that that's missing in their life and whether they ever feel that way completely or not at least they know that it's out there and that it can be attained and, and it's practicable you know it is possible it, and it's not like i'm some kind of tantric goddess and tantric teacher i'm not at all i just in fact say not at all you want a tantric teacher you know i can give you names but you know i just have to give some names after this though uh just because you know that's the the cool thing about it is it does the more when you talk about it you can't help but put a smile on your face i know i'm smiling yeah. a lot and i hope that people watching this will smile a lot but you know uh love just feels great and um uh, uh and a heightened spirituality like you said connection with another person i mean is a wonderful goal to have nowadays because people are are feeling a little bit disconnected and you know this is a great solution what what you know at least to try for it or understand that it's out there you know and you also said in your book like don't fall in love but rise in love and that's a great message because you know, you know, instead of falling in and having rules and expectations, just rise together and both of you kind of rise. That's beautifully put, Gina, like rise above the expectations because I think the societal expectations that had maybe some good in life, some, uh, in, in, in mind, you know, in, in some sense, like to protect women because men could disappear. So if they marry them, you know. Then they had to like take care of children and so on because biologically yeah. women you know would be always the only ones responsible if men you know were not forced to marriage or something in early time but uh, so but also it is just one of many paths that we can take and i think with priestesses and goddesses of eros in my opinion most of the time they were not married or if they were married they were married on a different level you know like isis and osiris like jesus and christ you know Although i'm not so sure they were married they were definitely companions and you know they had erotic uh connection there but you know i'm not sure that they were actually about like starting a family because they had a mission and he knew he's not going to stay around also you know a lot of us as humans have wounds and um the feminine energy can really heal a lot so if um we allow that feminine presence that even if you believe in goddesses or don't believe in goddess believe in the energy of the goddess to come in and that feminine energy let that wound be full of what that female energy you like brings which is healing and love and support and kindness and, you know, and let that wound heal a little bit and not be afraid of uh, it being weird, like you said, you know what I mean? And see that, that it, you know, try it. Maybe it would help something. But can I just put a little bit of warning there? Because I think lots of women actually do this. But the mistake that most women do with this, and I think maybe I've done, although, you know, like... Uh, yeah, I was so focused on my mission that I just would say, okay, I don't have time for it. Not because I didn't care, but I thought that it was stopping me from my mission. So that lots of women do this, but they do it in a wrong way. They are doing it in the way that patriarchy shows them how to do this, which basically being, again, this virginal mother that is there for a man to, you know, console them because the life is tough, okay? <laughs> There's a thing you have to do. You have to... Like, for example, I wake up next to my husband and I say, good morning, handsome, I love you. And then I realize I have to say that to myself first, good morning, gorgeous, I love you. <laughs> yes. You know? And then I say to him, because otherwise we men for generations and generations, and that's the feminine wound, yes. you know, thought yeah. that you know, we are here because we have this power. But instead of being empowered by this power of healing and love and errors, we lose the power because we give it away before we know who we are, before we acknowledge, you know, I am beautiful, you know, I am a divine being, you know, and I give you this honor of healing. Yes. Honor in I found that self-love. Um, yeah. And that's what I've been really, really working on. And it's changed my life. And it instantly when I just said oh no I, I i trained my programming to go to me first all the time right now and it's interesting <laughs> like i had so much self-love that and it's very you know, important and it took me so you're way ahead of me because you know i'm older and it took me like recently to to realize you know okay i realized it but i didn't practice it you know I'm no like, i mean it's last month honestly 
Mac this Mac is recent Mac. for me too. I mean, I had plenty of the people that I tried to save and that I put before me. And to you get, you have to learn that so deep that mm-hmm. like, oh no, I have to always put myself first. Mm-hmm. I, but when you learn that and the word self-love and you learn it and it goes right in, you keep it forever. It's something like once you learn it, like you'll never, ever, ever forget it. It's, but you say it's right, you know, like you have to reprogram yourself. So basically you have to realize I have this power. You have to own it, not only, and it's the only first step. The second step is own this power. And now you are like a goddess, you're a divine being. You give this power only when you want to give it. Right? Because some people just come and take it and actually abuse you because they are stronger or, you know, they manipulate you. So it was you. So, and then if you go, but I love him, you know, I think that, right? But no, if you truly own it, you know, or you can say, I give it to you anyway because, yeah, you know, my gift to you and now get lost because you do not deserve me. Okay. There you are. Oh, I love it. And I've never been one of my relationships because this was, you know, not sustainable in like in, in a way that could honor me. And I knew that he needed healing. So I gave him he- a healing, but I gave it like a goddess. And then I said, that's it. Like I am, we are, this is not happening. I'm giving it like a goddess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that healing. I see, you know, like, uh, yeah, that's a go there. You definitely hear this healing, okay? And, you know, out of my goodness, I'm doing this, but, you know, this is not a relationship, you know, God has entered, right? So, well, can we touch base a little bit on Mary Magdalene? Because mm-hmm. uh, so much of your book is about Mary Magdalene. And just just what, what would you say would be the thing you'd like to add about her energy? Okay. So apart from the fact that, you know, I connect her with these goddesses of the past, which are, you know, not only from Nina, Nana, Ishtar, Hak, or Isis, Mary Magdalene, but also from the East, which is, for example, Sundari, which is this erotic goddess, uh, also of sacred uh, wisdom. So definitely I connected with this. And also, for me, discovery was that in 1969, even because I was brought up as a Catholic, as I said earlier, even the Catholic Church admitted that Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute, and there is no scriptural evidence for that. Wow. So talking about basic Bible, you know, there's yeah. uh, just, you know, me, me, complete confusion there. But, you know, it, it's a kind of scholarly discussion and we don't have time for this. Yeah. Let's say they, they know what they are talking about because I checked. She was not a prostitute. <laughs> and then I, uh, and then I, you know, discovered the Gnostic Gospels. So Gnostic Gospels are, I'll just rewind a little bit. So, you know, when, when the Gospels were, the biblical Gospels were collected, they were not collected until the fourth century. And there was a big discussion in Nicaea in 325. It was a kind of all the bishops met. You know, which Gospels go to the canonical, which means they are considered legal, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And which not. And there are plenty of Gospels and they're just not accepted because they were not kind of fitting in into what Roman Empire wanted to be. Mm -hmm. So there are four Gospels, but there are other Gospels, including the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Philip. And because they were forbidden, because, you know, to be orthodox, you could only four gospels, you know, others were like, you know, disappeared, you know, people, uh, they were persecuted, you know, and they were fighting among each other, you know, so they disappeared until in 1896, the gospel of Mary Magdalene was discovered in, in, uh, um, in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And then in 1945, uh, in Nakhamadi, there was a, like 40 Gnostic documents were discovered, were uncovered. So that's a wonderful story because somebody, another scholar, Jean-Yves Leloup, said that, you know, they were coming, they come up from the earth, like from the subconscious, when we were ready to accept them again. I yeah. think it's a beautiful metaphor. Yeah, so in this, gospels, in this Gospels, Mary Magdalene is portrayed as the favorite and most advanced disciple of Jesus. And she's the only disciple, so never mind the first apostle. Yeah, 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 it's very nice, you know, good start. But actually... You know, she was the only one with whom he uh, taught the most esoteric and mad- uh, most advanced teaching or shared. Well, I don't know. Okay. So, mm-hmm. and, and throughout the Gnostic Gospels, Peter, who is like the rock of a church, right, in, in, in Orthodox Christianity, is really jealous. He says, why did he share the teaching with her and not with us? Who is she anyway, this woman? You women have no right. Right. Yeah. right? And, 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 and then uh, another... Uh, 
disciple says, Peter, shut up, right? You know that the teacher loved him more than us. And in other gospel, they say, why do you love him more than us? You know, and I feel like, duh. <laughs> like, yeah, obviously, yeah, there's a relationship there, yeah, and she's also, she's his equal, or at least his most advanced disciple. So this is the thing that, you know, I think that Gnostic Gospels teach us, and in fact, um, this, uh, no, in a couple of weekends for the Magical Egypt, I give a seminar on the, you know, uh, uh, Mary Magdalene and the esoteric Egypt, and I will be kind of talking about what's actually in the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. Wow. So, but uh, what I discuss in the book is uh, also, you know, my own question, because um, about what happened to Mary Magdalene after, you know, the resurrection and, you know, or the death and resurrection, right, after the crucifixion. And, you know, there's this popular story about her going to France, which might be true, and I also explore it in the book in two different parts of France. But I think that even if she went to France, which perhaps she did, uh, she first went to Alexandria, which was the cultural and spiritual center of the world. It is just like mm -hmm. the place to be, okay, at the time. And the reason why is because um, uh, there, there is a pretty good evidence that both she and Jesus were, you know, connected to esoteric Judaism that was, um, you know, uh, in the desert, in the Holy Land, called the Essenes, you know, mm -hmm. or the Essenes. And, and then I learned that in Alexandria at the time, there was a group called Serapete, who were the healers who accepted women healers, women spiritual leaders, and women philosophers into that circle, which was very unusual because it was yeah. a very progressive place. Women could not do such things, right? Yeah. And that they had actually, uh, they were in contact with the Essenes in the Holy Land. Okay, so I thought if, if I were Mary Magdalene, you know, I wouldn't be sticking out around, you know, especially that I'm a woman, especially yeah. already in danger. I got the highest teachings, which I'm even in more danger, teachings that were repressed for millennia, right? Yeah. And so all disciples left somewhere, you know, I would be leaving too, right? And where right. would I be leaving? Where somebody can actually, you know, I can continue my work. Right? Oh, wow. So I thought that I went to Alexandria. And then I asked myself another question. Was there a woman in the first century Alexandria that perhaps fit the, maybe not called Mary Magdalene, but fit the description, you know? Wow. Well, I realized that I studied the alchemy and there's a famous and historical figure, alchemist uh, Zosimus, an Egyptian uh, alchemist, who says that in the first century Alexandria, there was a woman alchemist who was called Mary the Alchemist, Mary the Prophetess, or Mary the Jewess. She okay. went under three names. Okay. And she's a historical figure. So this is another connection that she could be here. And then, where did the Zosimos live in, in Egypt? In the city of Akmin, which was Panapolis in the past, that is Akmin. And where was the Gospel of Mary Magdalene discovered? In Akmin. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, so I, mean, it's, it's, I cannot prove it, but yeah. I think Pretty yeah. hypothesis, right? Right? Like, oh, wonderful. Yeah, I was not only that, And not only that, you know, there are two forms of alchemy. One is like, you know, working with base metals to transform them yeah. into gold. And the other one is a spiritual alchemy, which specializes in the ascension of the soul. And this is what Mary, the prophetess or alchemist, taught. And this is what the Gospel of Mary Magdalene teaches. So I think that's a pretty good, you know, evidence there. Yeah. Oh, wow. I think that, thank you so much. I, I know that did top her, but there's a lot of more information in your book, The Other Goddess, um, where um, Haniel Press has uh, been your publisher and Sacred Stories is your um, public, uh, publicity company. And I just want to call them out and say thank you for arranging this with us. And um, it's been really wonderful to connect with you and to um, this is something that's really important. I think connecting, especially, you know, uh, this part of our, us that feels so kind of um, pushed down a lot, especially in the world, Western world, uh, we need to start talking a little bit about this uh, more. So um, I'll be linking all of your connections into all of our information so people can look for your book, The Other Goddess, and I'll be putting pictures on there so people can find it. And thank you so much for your time today. Is there anything you'd like to kind of leave? us with
well, there's maybe <laughs> honor yourself. You know, as I said, simple action, like, you know, when I say to my husband first, and I realize, why am I not saying to myself, you know, why don't I welcome myself as a divine being, you know, before I actually give this energy to someone else, you know, and do not be afraid to walk your path, even it, as you said it, you said, even it feels strange. And this, if you have a true spiritual experience, and even if it feels that it ruins your life, still follow this, because what this life is, is just like a decoration, you know? Yeah. And, and it's actually leading you to many more places. Sometimes people are afraid to follow the spiritual path because they have to leave behind. And you do. And it's heartbreaking. But you meet so many beautiful people, including partners, you know, as you move on this path. So do not limit your growth just to stay, you know, in yeah. where you are, a relationship or a job or something, you know? And I do not pretend it's easy. I struggle with this too, you know, because we are also embodied beings, you know, we are afraid. But as I said at the end of the Avagones, do not be afraid. You know, you are not alone. Take the turn. Take don't the be afraid, goddess. You're not alone. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Joanna. So nice to meet you. Many blessings. This has been the Liberated Healer podcast. Many lo much love to all of y'all. Bye for now. Bye bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find us online at theliberatedhealer.com, on Instagram at Liberated Healer Podcast, or on Facebook at The Liberated Healer. Give us a follow, subscribe, send us a message if you so feel, and thank you for your support.